Testament. And then there's a 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And but at the end of the book of Malachi, it says this to the people. He says, first of all, he tells them, follow my commands. And then he goes dark. He goes quiet. OK, so what are they supposed to do? Follow his commands? Well, they don't. And they get in trouble. That's a whole other sermon. Uh, but Matthew, Malachi 4, 5 says this. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So you got 400 years of silence between Malachi and then Matthew. Gabriel comes. And the angel Gabriel comes with an announcement. And this breaks the silence. He appears in the sanctuary to a priest named Zechariah with the good news of how God is going to bless him and his wife Elizabeth. And Zechariah, taken by surprise, Luke 1.12 says this, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him because he knew he was an angel. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. You're to name him John. So the prayers were going to be answered. She was past. They thought her childbearing years. They thought she was barren. But they were praying to God for a son because she didn't have one. And bang, God answered their prayers. And it came with an instruction. Name him John. To us, we would know to come to know him as John the Baptist. Six months later, after Elizabeth was pregnant, the angel Gabriel was going to visit another, Elizabeth's cousin, with the news of another child. Except this child was going to be born of a virgin as the Holy Spirit came upon her. And of course, this woman was Mary. The child was the son of God, Jesus Christ. God had a plan for John. He had a mission for John, and that was to point people to Jesus, to point people to the need for a savior, to point people to a Messiah that was coming. His will for for John was absolutely clear. And John, as we go along here, you're going to see his devotion for Christ was all in. What do we know about John? Scripture tells us a lot about him. Before he was even born, the angel Gabriel says that many will rejoice at his birth, says that he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. That's enough right there. He'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. And here's a big statement that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. I said this morning, I'll say it again. Karen, I should put that right on the right on the, the window, the door, the walls. As a matter of fact, the word says that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, that John leapt in her womb because she came in with Christ. He leapt in her womb. And then even Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of supernatural going on here. John was the man that was promised at the end of the Old Testament. The man who would walk in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The power of God as Elijah did. Excuse me. It would be John who was going to prepare the people for the coming Lord. And Luke, it says that he was going to cause the rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. At John's birth, his father, Zechariah, declares this in one, Luke 1, 7, 6. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. 
Now, John was the first prophet since Malachi. He was an evangelist. Scripture describes him as a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Luke 180 said, John grew up and became strong in the spirit. He lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry in Israel. So he went out to the wilderness. Now, why did he live in the wilderness? We don't really know. Scripture doesn't really tell us, but we know that many of God's prophets did. We know that often in the wilderness alone, having to rely on God is where they are prepared. They are refined. In the wilderness is where faith is strengthened. In the wilderness sometimes is where the spiritual wake-up call comes. And even today, we battle with being in the wilderness. And some people are in the wilderness, but half the battle is realizing that you're in the wilderness. You see, our desert and our wilderness may not resemble where John lived, doesn't mean that the Lord's still not working on us, refining us, preparing us, teaching us, sometimes chastening us. You see, our wilderness could be our marriage. Our wilderness could be our household. Our wilderness could just be our job and our life and our living and how we're living. Our wilderness could be spiritually devoid. Our wilderness could be not walking in the power of God. Our wilderness could be our pride. Our wilderness could be anything that sets us in a direction that's opposite Jesus Christ and his holy word. Our wilderness will always steal our joy. Our wilderness will always affect our effectiveness. You see, in our culture, in our society, everyone's got everything going on all the time. And if they have a free time, a free moment, they fill it. We may have a full schedule. We may be surrounded by people. We may be well-liked. We may be awesome at our job. But that doesn't mean that we are fulfilled as Christians. You know, wilderness can be something, and if you're this person, you're going to understand it, and you may not understand it fully if you're not. Wilderness could be this. You're in the middle of a crowded room, and you feel all alone. Or you feel like no one ever understands you, no matter who you talk to. They just don't get it. We could have it all going on, but it doesn't mean we're following God's path. See, for the Christian to be in the wilderness could mean, wait a minute, I've veered off and I'm in a direction where I'm following the world. I'm in a direction where I'm following everything. If it feels good, do it, regardless of the consequences. I'm missing everything that God's got for me. I'm not walking in the power of God. I'm walking in my power. I'm not living anymore. I'm existing. You're in the wilderness. You're giving into depression. You're giving into anxiety. You're giving into everything. All of a sudden, you find yourself searching for the miracle drug instead of searching for the miracle. You're in the wilderness.
My prayer and my hope today is that if you're in the wilderness, that you just realized it. Because that is half the battle. Because God wants you to rely on him. He wants you to trust in him. He wants to refine your faith. Do you think he wants you to walk in his power? Absolutely. Do you think he has a plan for you? We know he does. And he wants you to be in it. Want to walk in the power of God? Get out of the wilderness and back in his will. The joy of the Lord in your life comes from laying down yourself and picking up the cross. You see, we think by sacrificing that we're not going to have fun, that we're not going to be able to do the things we want to do. But I'm going to tell you right now, when you're sacrificing in the will of God, walking in his power, you're going to have joy that's unparalleled. Battling addiction, get in God's will. Let his power do the battling. This one foot in, one foot out stuff doesn't work, guys. Because the one foot out is always drawing you in that direction. The one foot out will have you yoked to people who aren't Christian. The one foot out is going to want you to yoke to things that are not Christian. The one foot out is always going to say, hey, listen, let's just do this, man. It's not that bad. And then where it draws you, you don't know. But I will tell you one thing, the one foot out draws you so far over the line that all of a sudden you're isolated, you're secluded, you're not in the word, you're not praying, you're not going to church, you're not in fellowship, you're not experiencing the power of God, you don't even see him anymore. And you don't even know how you got there. Want to go in that direction make friends with the world? Doesn't work out well. I think it's wise to remember like John that God has a plan for each of us. He has a plan for you sitting there. The difference is this. And this is hard to hear, but it's true. John was committed and submitted. He committed and submitted and then watch what God did. He was committed and submitted and then watch the end result. He was committed and submitted and watch God part the waters, so to speak. This brings me to my first question. That's a simple one, but hopefully you honestly answer it, and maybe you're awakened to answer it honestly now. Are you in the wilderness? John spent 30 years in the wilderness being molded and prepared by God for his public ministry. 30 years for six months. His public ministry was only going to be for six months. We know what scripture says about John. Let's talk about his appearance. Because if we were to see John, what he wore as clothing, what he ate, it may seem a little odd to us. You know, he, made, he wore clothes made from camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate wild honey and locusts. He was rough around the edges. You know, God uses those guys who are rough around the edges. Thank God. 
I'm not going there. All right, so listen, but when you think about John the Baptist, you get this image of your mind of a, a mountain man. You know, this guy dressed like a mountain man and surviving off the land. But you have to understand, for the Jews, his dress was the dress of a prophet. And they would have immediately had linked him to Elijah because Elijah dressed the exact same way. They recognized him as a prophet. They thought he was speaking for God. His ministry began to grow. And this is a lesson of be careful for us today. Be careful of how we judge based on appearances. You know, in our society, we have this tendency to flock to those who are charismatic, who are dressed really nice, who have all the right things to say. They look like they're all put together. They tell us what we want to hear a lot of times. And the person who we view as the outcast, we want to avoid them. And it's really the outcast who God's using as someone to speak his word, to speak his truth, and we're missing it. God's going to use who God's going to use. I'm guilty of this one because I tried to avoid somebody who has prophetic words many times and God would not let me. And what he spoke over me was so prophetic and so true and so not in general for those people who are naysayers. It makes you wonder when you walk in, you see somebody a little on the dirty side, maybe a little smelly, maybe somebody who looks like they're living off the street. Do you sit near them? Because, man, they may be the one that God's got his hand on right now. That's going to change your life with the truth of the word. And you just blew them off. Because there's a spiritual pride that kicks in. I'm holier, I'm better, I'm cleaner, I'm more righteous. Not a good place to be. Holier than thou, we say, right? Okay, so he's in the wilderness, and when God's timing is right, John receives this message from God. And John, the prophet, the evangelist, now becomes John the Baptist. And in Luke 3, 3, then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. It is wise to remember here that baptisms were not something that was unfamiliar to the Jews. When a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, baptism was part of their ritual cleansing. So John took their baptism and he applied it to the Jews who he also saw as the need for cleansing as far as sin is concerned. Also remember, too, it's not the same as our baptism where we're proclaiming the work publicly of what Jesus is doing on the inside of us when we identify with his death and resurrection. It's not the same. When John baptized the Jews, they were acknowledging this sin. They were showing a desire for spiritual cleansing and they were committing to follow God's law in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. John was calling them to repent and emphasizing their need for salvation. And the people were responding. In Matthew 3, 5, it says, People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. 
So they were responding to the truth. But even as we see today, this is how some responded to the truth. They refused to enter the water. Some refused to repent. Some may be self-righteous. Some seeing no need for it. Some maybe just, you know, as we know, loved their sin more. Maybe it wasn't apparent at that point. And a couple of these groups in Matthew 3, 7 were the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, but when he saw many, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warn you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's telling them, listen, if you're repentant, show to your deeds. Show to what you do. But these guys were not repentant. And even though they were the religious leaders, they were showing no repentance in their action. And when we go on to Luke 7, 29, we can see where they really stood when it came to the baptism by John. And Luke 7, 29 says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. It's a big statement there. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So they were not baptized by John. They wouldn't repent. They were children of Abraham, yes. They were lodged and in charge religiously, yes. And then John turns and says, listen, that's not enough. They don't want to hear it, though. He shared the truth with them, and they rejected it. When we share Jesus Christ with people, we sometimes run into the same thing. We certainly see people, we share the truth and our hopes are so high and then they won't stop playing in a sin. They won't change their ways. Some will even proclaim Christ and do opposite of what the word says. They see no need to repent, think they're all set. Some of these individuals, they often settle into what we call good works. You know why? Because it makes themselves feel good. And they settle into good works to feel good, but spiritually they're in a bad place. But always with these people, it's their fruit in their lives that show where they're at. It's, it's their marriages, it's their households, it's how they live. It's fruit that they can't stop that comes to the surface that's bad. It's not good fruit, it's bad fruit. And it shows exactly where they really stand spiritually. These people, like the Pharisees, when you teach the truth, when you tell them about the Bible, or what would Jesus do, WWJD, you say that, it aggravates them. It aggravates them. They don't want to hear it. With these people, when you talk to them, they usually spend more time trying to find loopholes around following the word of God than it would take to actually obey it. Because they want to justify what they do. It's no doubt that these people, uh, they wouldn't get in the water either. Having said that, I want to take a moment and I want to encourage those who actually share Jesus Christ with others. I don't want you to get discouraged when you run into these type of people. Don't get discouraged when the truth is met with dis disdain or aggravation. Because our job is to share the truth. Then it's the Holy Spirit's job. You are not going to shake someone awake into salvation. That's not the way it works. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that's the case, you're thinking you're God and you're not. 
Because we are to carry the truth. We are to deliver the truth. We are to deliver the gospel message. And then we are to watch and see what the Holy Spirit does. When we go to these places and we preach and people are ranting and raving and putting their hands up and praising the Lord and accepting Christ, it has nothing to do with me. It is all the Holy Spirit and they're receiving the truth of the word of God. When we, there was these missionaries that were in Africa and they were going to these towns and all these people were getting saved and they finally had, somebody had a chance to talk to them and like, what are you guys doing that's so different? And they said, nothing. The Holy Spirit keeps going before us. And every time we say the Bible, the truth, people are falling on their knees accepting the Lord. It's the power of God, not the power of us. So don't get discouraged. Our job is to share the truth. Listen, you've got to know this in your heart. Not everyone is going to run up to you and give you a hug when you tell them they're on a path to hell and they need a Savior named Jesus. <laughs> Just the opposite sometimes. This brings me to my second question. Are you the voice crying out in the wilderness who had led lost individuals to Jesus Christ? Or going back to the first question, just in the wilderness. We know that John's preparing a way for the Messiah, the way for the Messiah, and he gets an opportunity to recognize him publicly because timing is just right. And Christ comes in God's timing. and He wants to be baptized. And John goes, I'm not baptizing you. He's sinless. He knows it. He knows who he is. He knows that he's God. But Christ says, listen, we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is the proper thing to do. You have to do it. And so John agrees, and in Matthew 3.16 it says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Powerful moment. Actually, this is a moment in Scripture where we see the triune God. We see the Trinity, actually, in action, right? And not only does John acknowledge Christ publicly... But really, Christ is acknowledging what John's doing publicly. Christ is showing that heaven's, heaven is approving what John is doing. And the next day, John introduces Christ when he comes to the river and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No doubt that John the Baptist knew he was the Messiah, right? No doubt he knew he was the Son of God. In John 134, he says, I have seen and I have testified that this is God's chosen one. That doesn't leave anything to doubt. I think based on what we've talked about with John and we see how it was set up before he was born and all the things he did. And he was a yes man to the Lord. And God said, do this. And he said, yes, Lord. Go on the wilderness. Yes, Lord. Time to baptize. Yes, Lord. He didn't back down. He didn't argue. He went out in the power of God and did what God told him to do. Based on that, you would say he was all in for Christ. Amen. Amen. And then got arrested. 
And he got arrested. Why? Because he called out the unrighteousness of Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. See, Herod liked his brother's wife. And so he took her and married her. And they were in an adulterous relationship. They were in an adulterous relationship. Listen, in this church, we take that very serious here. You can't be in an adulterous relationship. And so John calls it out. And he said, no, it's unrighteous. And Herod's so mad, he actually wants to kill John. But he knows that the people see him as a prophet of God. So he's so afraid of their reaction that he doesn't go there. What he does is he throws him in prison. He throws him in prison. And it's while in prison, and John's there for almost a year, that he does something that should cause us to pause, cause us to think, maybe wrap our minds around what's going on next. So as news of miracles of Jesus spread, John decided to send two of his followers to ask Christ a question. In Luke 7, 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? What? When we, we just talked about the events of his life, the plan God had for him, what he believed, what he declared, you probably would not think this question would be the one he was expecting, you know, expected to ask of Jesus. Despite everything John had seen, what he had done, being declared a prophet, certainly a child of God, something was seeping in. That something was doubt. Maybe it was because most of the Israelites didn't accept Christ as the Messiah. Maybe thoughts were prompted by rejection of Christ by the religious leaders. Regardless, John reaches out with the question, are you the one? And Christ responds. And in Luke 7, 21, he says, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I'm going to ask you guys to start serving communion. Okay. So blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The stumble here, he's talking about doubt. He's talking about those people who backed away from Christ because Christ didn't come and set up his earthly kingdom and oust the Romans like they wanted to. Or, you know, he ate with the sinners and it was dirty and unclean. Or he didn't appear to be the powerful son of God that they thought was coming and it caused them to stumble. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know, one good thing here is that John had this doubt that popped up. And what he did is correct. He went to the source. He went to Jesus Christ. He went directly to him and he asked him. He didn't hold it in himself. You know why? Because if he held it in himself, that fiery dart, I'll get it later, that fiery dart 
that one spark would become a raging inferno as some of us do. We let the enemy get in with that one flaming arrow in our head and we don't go to the source and we don't put it out. And before you know it, that one flaming arrow is this raging inferno and you're hating everyone and you're leaving the church and they're not doing it your way. And somebody did this and somebody did that. Half of it's not even right. He doesn't fall prey to that, man. He goes right to Christ and he asks him, are you the one? And this is the beautiful thing here. This is the thing I love. And this just shows how much Jesus loves us because he's God. He knew what John was going through. You can imagine what the prison cells were like back then, right? He's in prison for a year. He probably ate great too, right? Probably had crap to eat. And he suffered the whole time. He had plenty of time to think about everything that was done about Christ. And Christ knew he needed confirmation. And he also knew he was about to be beheaded. And what does he do? He gives him that confirmation. He doesn't rebuke him. He points to him the miracles that have taken place, points to him the power of God that was going on and affirming who Jesus Christ was. He loved John and he needed affirmation. He gave it to him. He loved John and he needed assurance and he gave it to him. And as the messengers believe, he even affirms to the crowd that John the Baptist is the one that the book of Malachi talked about. He was the one that was going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. And he turns to the crowd and he affirms John the Baptist was the prophet of God. Listen. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what ministry you're involved with. Doesn't matter how righteous you are. Doesn't matter how holy you think you are. Doubt can come in. Doubt can seep in. Sitting here today, it's just good to be reaffirmed that there's no super Christians. There's no super Christians. And if someone walks in and they're spouting that nonsense and they're dressed to the nines and they got the perfect Bible and they say the perfect thing and they are the holier than thou, run the other way. Because there are no super Christians. And that person's going to lead you down a bad path, I'll tell you right now. John was a Christian and dwelled by the Holy Spirit, but he was also a man, a human being, who felt anguish and pain, anxiety, sorrow, loneliness. loneliness. He was a man who had to face temptation. He had to draw a line in Christ. And as human beings, we battle with the same emotions. We battle with the fiery darts of the enemy. We battle with the thoughts of questioning. We doubt walking as we're walking. We doubt direction. We doubt even if we should start walking. Sometimes the doubts just come in when the direction's unclear. Sometimes the doubts come in when we don't feel the Lord close or speaking to us as we think he should. But know this. He's not a liar. When he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he is with us. He is with his children. He is there. But for some of us, 
We have to walk in the wilderness and not hear too much because we need to be refined. We need to trust and rely on the Lord. We can't walk by sight. We need to walk by faith. And often in the wilderness, God's showing you that, man. God's showing you, listen, if you just rely on me, I'll get you through. Stop looking at the drug to get you through. Stop looking at whatever to get you through. It's me that's going to get you through. Jesus is going to get you through. See, it's in those times when you're in that wilderness. That's when you get close to the Lord. That's when you start hearing things you never heard before. Listen, so many people and brothers and sisters in this room have gone through so much garbage and so many trials and tribulation in their life. But they will sit there just like Gary Bowden testified to us today. It's in those moments, man, when it's the worst that you feel the Lord's presence and you know he cares and you know he's there and you're hearing clearly from him. Maybe for the first time in a long time. Maybe you could sub out wilderness with on the potter's wheel. Maybe when you're thrust into that situation and you're facing the demonic or you're facing your mortality, that God becomes a whole other level of real. And you're letting yourself go. And committing starts to come with submitting. Sometimes the doubts come with patience. We struggle with not seeing the whole plan, how it could possibly work out. And I'm telling you right now, that's not me. And I don't have any patience, by the way. If you know me, you know that already. But when it comes to the Lord, I've learned because I wouldn't be standing here and I wouldn't be going to New Orleans if I had just wondered about how it was going to work out. Sometimes you just got to go. We need to be reminded sometimes that the supernatural power of God is greater than any obstacles that we see. Supernatural power of God is is always there for us. He's going to remove hindrances. He's going to remove mountains. He's going to help us to be reconciled. He's going to help us to get restored. It's all about him. It's not about us. And when we're on a course, see, here's, here's a problem we struggle with. When God puts us on a course and we're going along and God's there and we're feeling the power, man, and he's talking to us and we're going, and then all of a sudden he's not talking to us. And we start going, am I still supposed to be on this course? Because God's not holding your hand anymore. You see, the, the Israelites got in trouble all the time because God let go of their hand and they went on their own course. God let go of their hand and they veered off and started doing their own thing. That's the same thing that happens to us when we stay the course and all of a sudden we don't hear God anymore. Well, we're going to make things happen. Right? God's not telling me to start this ministry. I'm going to do it because I think it's a good thing. Listen, and we start running ahead of God and we're certainly off the path of righteousness and he's trying to get us back. You know, when we do that, that's how we end up in the wilderness sometime. Not feeling the power of God. Why? Because we're walking in our own power. God's like, I'm over here. Come back this way. Or you forgot me. Listen, make no mistake. Doubt's going to pop up as lives of the followers of Jesus Christ. But 
make no mistake, we have everything that we need to do battle with doubt. We have everything we need to rebuke it, and we can rebuke it in faith. See, doubt can be a powerful weapon used by the enemy. And what he does is he instills doubt in you to erode your foundation in the Lord. And it negatively affects your effectiveness for the kingdom. The doubt comes in and it can have you slow down when you should speed up and change course when you shouldn't and take action when you're supposed to stand still and take control instead of submitting. That's a huge one. Let me say that again. Take control instead of submitting. Everybody wants to take control. The doubt will have you not walking forward because all of a sudden it's feeding your fear. Wise to remember the first expression of doubt in the Bible and how it was used, and you'll understand why in a second. Because it's in Genesis 3 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? See how he's instilling the doubt? And that was the beginning. Isn't that what we're dealing with right now? Did God really say that? We deal with that all the time, right? Did God really mean that for today? Wasn't that just an Old Testament thing? Did God really say there's only one way to heaven? Because that's what we got churches around us preaching now. We gotta be on guard against this. We gotta be on guard against this. You gotta hold righteous, hold the line in the word of God, and don't let it get watered down. Because I'm telling you right now, when you can't count on the churches around you, we have to count on the body of Christ that we're involved with. We have to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. We have to trust the leadership, the pastors that are here. They're gonna stay in the word and stay out of trouble. Because people are caving because of this. That's just the truth. See these green things in front of you? They want them all filled. And so they're watering down the word of God so everybody is hearing what they want to hear. Everybody comes in and feels good when they leave. But they're not hearing the truth. That's not everywhere, but there are places around us. And if you want to know where, ask me after service. I'll be glad to tell you. So stay out of there. Although I won't be a pastor anymore. So talk to Pastor Dan. He'll tell you. So you'll stay out of there. Listen, I want to encourage you today. And as we we start moving to closing here, I just want to remind you the way to battle doubt is faith. And the way to build your faith is true is through truth. The truth of God's word. Now, we are reminded with Scripture, I'm not going to get into this, but about the spiritual battle that we're in, and we're supposed to prepare daily, and it talks about Ephesians 6. Go read it. If you don't know those Scriptures, you should, because it's for every Christian to put the armor of God on daily, because there's this battle going on, and we need to be spiritually prepared for it. And if you're not, guess what? The road's rocky. If you're not, maybe you're in the wilderness. If you're not, oh, things probably aren't working out so well. Stop whining and go do what he tells you to do in Scripture. Then you can whine if it's not working out. And Pastor Dan will be glad to take that call too. 
But I wanted to point out the first thing in Ephesians 6.14 is putting on the belt of truth. That's the first thing he says. Remember, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Without accepting God's truth, the rest of the armor starts to break down. Without believing in faith that the word of God is true, we open the door for doubt. We open the door for the world to try to change what it actually means. We start accepting those questions. Did he really say that? Man, I want to punch people in the face. I'm sick of them saying that. Was it really for today? Shut up. Yes. Accept Christ. You're going to hell. Listen, if we don't accept the Bible, and don't give me this. All right. Choosing words carefully. Don't give me this minutia, this garbage that I'm just not going to follow this verse. But man, these verses, these are good. These are from God. Because if you're saying that you're not going to follow that verse, I doubt sincerely that you believe that's God's word. Because if you're not going to follow that verse, you don't fear God. And that's something to self-check, man. This is gut check time. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? See, if we get into that, that situation, man, the enemy, you've opened the floodgates for attack. You're just inviting to get attacked right here. Inviting to get attacked at your foundation and your faith and where you really stand. This is where our pride and our understanding get in the way. This is where we can all of a sudden get logic and reasoning. If it doesn't make sense and science doesn't back it up, I'm not really going to follow it right now. You know, what the heck? Walk by faith, not by sight. As a true follower of Christ, we need to accept God's word as the truth. When we do that, we're going to see ourselves as righteous through God's eyes. When we do that, we're going to see ourselves as washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. We're going to actually believe it. When we do that, we're going to have assurance of our salvation. We're going to have a desire to share Jesus Christ with others. Why? Because we're really going to love them. When we have, we believe in the truth of the God's word, we're going to have a strong shield of faith to put out the fiery dots of the enemy and to get rid of those doubts. When doubts come in like John, man, go to the source, stand firm in the word. Jesus wasn't upset with John because he knew what he was going through. And rather than rebuking what he does, he confirms him out of his grace. He assures him. Don't think for a second today that the Lord is not watching us right now as we sit here. Don't think for a second he's not seeing what we do. Don't think for a second he doesn't care because he does care. Bring your doubts to him about direction and pray for confirmation. Bring your doubts to him about the plan for your life and pray for confirmation. But I'm going to say this. If you guys are praying confirmation and you get it, what do you do next? Don't pray for confirmation, then don't do it. Lord, if you could just confirm that last confirmation so that I know in my heart of hearts. God's going. Listen, if you pray for confirmation, he will answer your prayer. He'll give you direction. You know, and he'll expect you to be obedient. 
This leads me to my last, my third, and my final question. Are you letting doubt stop you from trusting in the Lord, walking in his power, and moving forward for the kingdom of God? You know, and it's funny, because this, this is one of those questions that, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I mean, there's, there's times in your life when you remember God moving and the power you're walking and all that, and maybe you're just in the wilderness now, and you see the difference. Maybe it's because you've been doubting things. Are you letting doubt stop you from trusting in the Lord, walking in his power, and moving forward for the kingdom of God? Listen, as we, I think it's fitting that we're taking communion because hopefully these, these questions have all tweaked you in some way. Thanks, Ryan. Have pushed, pushed your button for the betterment. Not to pick on you, not to tear you down, to, so that you can find out what God wants to use you in, so that you can have that confidence of walking in the Lord, walking in his power and just knowing he's got your back. So you have confidence that God never leaves you or forsake you, so that when you're in the desert, you have to walk through it, that you know he's still there. He doesn't have to hold your hand because you know he's there. That's where you want to be, Amen. That's called having faith. It's called believing. Listen, it's also a place you want to be where you believe in God's word. And even though it's not the most popular verse in the world, and you get all kind of grief for it, you have to stay in it. You want to believe that too. You want to believe that it's rock solid, that it's the foundation of everything, right? The word became flesh when Jesus came. Amen? Amen. Ooh, I'm just going to throw a challenge out for the youngins here, for the, the high schoolers and under. Hold the line! Hold the line. Make your choice for Jesus Christ. Stay in scripture, hold the line for yourself, share your faith, and watch what God will do in your life. Because not only will he protect you, but he's going to honor you for honoring him. And you'll see it. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, we just thank you that you came on the cross to die for the sins of the world, to die for our sins, Lord. We thank you that your body was bruised and beaten, Lord, that you bled so that the forgiveness of sin would be available, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come together today to remember what you did for us and to remember that you're coming back. Lord, but on top of that today, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for everything that we've talked about. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember what you want us to do, Lord, what you expect of us. Help us to remember that we are followers of you. We are disciples of you. We are Christians indwelled by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help our committed, committedness turn into being submitting.
Help us today, Lord, before we partake of these emblems to lay down those doubts that have slowed us down, Lord, that have stopped us from moving forward for your kingdom. Help us to confess the sin, Lord, that we get entangled with, that, that gets us hindered in our walk for you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. Thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for eternal salvation. We just pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We all said, Amen. please partake of the emblems at your own leisure. And uh, praise God. Amen.